and welcome to the Auto Movie Podcast. I'm Chris Ratcliffe, I'm with Martin Spain, and this is the show where we discuss cars and films, generally geek out about all things automotive in movies, TV, and online. In this episode, we're filling up our sherry glasses, toasting the festive season, and having a bit of a Christmas special where we look back at the year and just pick out some of our favourite movie cars in otherwise less than cari films. But first, let's go back to last episode where I talked about Ronin and we talked about uh, Ford versus Ferrari and my god thank you to everybody who got involved in the discussion unsurprisingly Ronin did, did rather kick off a wealth of Twitter conversations so thank you to Charles Brand to Nir Khan to Tim uh, everybody really who got involved with that we absolutely appreciate it and there's far too much unfortunately to read out right now everyone seems to really like that Audi S8 too I, who knows why? I, it's lost on me, but there's something in there for everyone, I guess. Speaking of Ford versus Ferrari, the Golden Globe nominations also came out this week, and it was a Best Actor nomination for Christian Bale as Ken Miles, which I think of all the performances in the film was probably the one that was going to get the most award attention. Yeah, and it's not just for his brilliant Midlands accent. I'm, I'm not going to do it now. <laughs> I'm going to admit I still haven't had time to see this movie. I may have missed my chance at the cinema. Uh, I may try and get a screening of it this week or maybe next if it's still going. But from all the reviews, it sounds like this is the kind of movie that could slip under the radar and actually score some awards attention. I think it's done quite well. Um, mm-hmm. It's been pretty well reviewed, even from petrol heads who go, yes, there are some inaccuracies, but it doesn't matter because you go with it and you enjoy car content on the big screen. I also noticed this week that the Film Stories podcast have covered Ford versus Ferrari as well. And for those of you who don't listen to the Film Stories podcast, and I would completely recommend it if I you like it. your film. Yeah, I love that podcast. It's great. It's all about the history, the build-up, what happened during production, uh, the box office. It doesn't really review the film so much, but I'm surprised because they're normally fairly old films. But there's all sorts of gems in here about who led it, where the title change between the UK and other markets came from. I won't go into it, but I was like listening to it, texting Martin, did you know this? Oh, I've just found that out. Really fascinating, well worth a listen. And also, if you're into your films, have dig back through the archives because there's something in there that you will go oh I love that film and I I will always just pick through and find an episode that I really enjoy in there somewhere. There's loads of great stuff there but yeah highly highly recommended that episode on Ford versus Ferrari is very illuminating on the backstory of how the film came to be made and its sort of development history and that was long and varied there's so many good films Simon Brew the presenter talks about and it's really well researched unlike some of our lesser episodes <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> we're a paradigm of research I, um, I i strive to be as good as him absolutely absolutely he is an influence on certainly on things that we do i will say as well as a bit of a teaser i'm not going to say who it is there is talk of the alternate casting for ford versus ferrari and if that had come off in my mind just boggles thinking about who those two actors could have been Speaking of people in large TV franchises... Oh, that's that's a creaky segue, but okay. <laughs> Congrats to someone that we both hugely admire. Uh, Jethro Bovingdon has landed a gig as Top Gear presenter, doing the American... It, it's Top Gear US. It? It's 
Top Gear US yeah. on Motor Trend. Yes, yeah, so this is going to be on Motor Trend. I think it must be on their Motor Trend on Demand service that I keep mm. telling you all to subscribe to. Um, and I'm going to say it again, you should subscribe to it because it's awesome. And you have even more reason now. Um, Death Row is on there. Top Gear America launches next year, hosted by Dax Shepard, the actor, Rob Cordroy, the actor and I think comedian as well, and Jethro Bovington. Well-known 996 enthusiast. He's going to be occupying what I'm going to think of as the Chris Harris stroke Tanner Faust segment of the presenting Mm. team, where he's the one that gets to drive all the really fast stuff and he makes it go sideways really nice. And I've had the pleasure once at... Uh, Bedford, sitting alongside Jethro in the wet, in a jag, I think it was, making the whole sideways thing look incredibly easy to the point that he would have a conversation with you while dancing around on opposite lock and just there seething quietly. Yeah, and that was a long time ago. He's, I mean, if you go back and dig out some of the very, very early Driver's Republic videos that he did, his pieces to camera have have come on in leaps and leaps and bounds. So wish him all the best and really, really looking forward to seeing the new series of Top Gear America. I'm one of the fans of the previous Top Gear US that was with uh, Rutledge Wood, Adam Ferrara and Tanner Faust. I really, really enjoyed those. They got better and better as they figured out what American audiences wanted versus uh, trying in their earlier seasons to be a slavish copy of Top Gear UK, having a studio and a stig and a, and a track on a deserted airfield just didn't really work for them so they figured out that what american audiences were far more into was road trips and car modifying and so they pitched their show increasingly towards those kinds of things and the challenges and they had a really good chemistry and camaraderie and we've always said that with every any of these car shows it's about the chemistry and the camaraderie between the presenters and they really had it in spades so i think this series is going to have to be judged on how the presenters bounce off one another and what they choose to take from Top Gear formats of old and what they choose to invent themselves. But it's promising. I hear that Dax Shepard is a bit of a petrol head. I have absolutely no idea if Rob Cordry is a, a, a petrol head or not. I know him from um, Hot Tub Time Machine, and that's it. Oh, really? Oh, I, I had no idea. I know Dax Shepard largely as being Mr. Kristen Bell and for his po- his podcast, The Armchair Expert, which, if you have a lot of spare time, is a really, really good listen. He's a great speaker. He really puts people at ease and he really can get into the essence of what somebody's all about. So have a dig through those. Hopefully Jethro will be on there because I think the two of them talking about cars could be really, really good fun. Also coming up soon, we've got the Top Gear Christmas special, on the 29th of December in the UK, where the three new presenters... Um, are they still new presenters? They're not new presenters now. They've done a they're series. Not new presenters. I still think of them as new, because then I'm, I'm an old man who's shouting, get off my lawn at kids. <laughs> <laughs> they're off to Nepal in three city cars, I think it is. I was having a quick read on this earlier, but I really don't want to spoil it for I haven't myself. seen any, I don't know if they've done any trailers for this. I haven't seen anything. I know there's a special. And two days before that, the Evo magazine, Evo Car of the Year video is going to drop on the 27th of December uh, with Steve Sutcliffe presenting. And I'm hoping that's going to be a really good one because last year's one was a bit of a disappointment. They didn't really put a great deal of time and effort into it. I think probably for budgetary reasons. Um, Mm. You know, video is really expensive and it's very hard to recoup the cost. So I'm glad that they've done a video specifically 
a video, not just shot around the, 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 the goings on and the static photography. I look forward to that and hopefully it's something to enjoy on the 27th when we're all stuffed full of turkey. <laughs> We've also had this week the Grand Tour presents Seaman. Yeah, I was really hopeful for this. And we were very excited about this on the last episode. Uh, neither Chris nor I would rank this in in our top 10 specials from the, the Top Gear Three Amigos. Uh, well, you texted me and said, what grade would you give it? Because I managed to find it online basically as soon as it went up on Amazon. You said, what grade would you give it? And I went, what's the India special on that scale? And you kind of went, Oh. Yeah, now I would not rate it in the same level as the India special. The India special has that horrific, cringeworthy yeah. party scene in the middle that was a dreadful idea, and it has a couple of other dreadfully staged moments. I'm not even sure if they were staged, but they appear to be so staged. They just. It was a great idea, and it starts off well, and it just went downhill rapidly. I wouldn't put that in. It wouldn't put the Grand Tour Presents Seaman on the India special kind of level, but it did feel a teeny bit like, where are all the cars? And they make a note of that, and they make a joke of it in in the episode. There doesn't seem to be any reason why they are going down the Mekong Delta in boats other than we need to make a special for Christmas, and so here it is. See, I think that they've said in the past with these specials that basically wherever Jeremy Clarkson goes on holiday, they go back to a few months later and do a special. And this really felt to me like Jeremy Clarkson had an idea to get on the Mekong Delta in the boat from Apocalypse Now. He was all gusto about it and spent a fortune on a boat and all this sort of stuff. But they talk about global warming at the start of the episode and the impact of that and the impact of global politics with China. Then they talk about how big their V8s are and how much power they've got. James May could basically be edited out of the whole thing. He seems very reluctant. He just seems a bit sort of not in on the joke. It's not even that. Because there are two very powerful boats and he's on a very slow boat the three of them don't really travel together as they do in convoy on a lot of other things. It's just two of them and James may plod along behind. But there's also great chunks where normally there would be a stunt or a jape or a present or Yeah, they're just not together because you can't get off of, you know, you can't, can't, there's, it's much harder to pull a boat over to the side of the river and, mm. and you know, arse around at a location and then jump back in your boat and get going. They do try yeah. that. But again, like you say, James May is 80 miles behind plodding along at 16 knots while the other two deploying you know, 700 brake horsepower plus from their V8s down the river. So they're miles away. I did notice on Twitter that Richard Porter, the script editor previously of Top Gear and, and the Grand Tour, said he had nothing to do with this. And I thought... Oh, that's telling. Because the one thing, if you ever read his book, and you should, because and on that bombshell is a great read, they talk about the concept behind these films. They talk about the concept behind the features that they do on the show and how they workshop them, in effect, how they discuss them until they get to a point. It's like, why are we going there? What is there to get to at the far end? What are we trying to do that somebody else couldn't do? Whereas with this it feels like they went, let's go down the Mekong Delta. Why? Because it's there? Yeah. That's, there was no reason. And apart from the, the end, there's jeopardy, but only because they're in a really choppy ocean. 
and they're in little riverboats. That's not intrinsic to the story. It was just where they stumbled into that gave it any kind of <gasps> moment towards the end. Yeah, I, I would was... have... <sighs> I would have given this a C. I struggle with the title because they're not on the sea and they're not in sea boats. The title sounds like the gag they came up with. You know, it wouldn't it be great if we did a special called Seamen? <laughs> and then Jeremy went, oh, we could all be in boats. And then the rest of it kind of was, it felt slung together. It's, mm. as ever with them, it's it's extremely uh, well shot and... Yep. There's mini history lessons from Clarkson in the middle that are always entertaining and, and informative because he's very passionate about human endeavour and achievement within a war framework. If you've mm. ever seen any of his standalone TV specials, he's done one about the Victoria Cross and he's done another yeah. couple uh, who you can look them up on his Wikipedia page. The, the specials he's done are usually something he's deeply passionate about and they are delivered with an absolute authority and a genuine interest. You, you lose all mm. the front that you see him playing a caricature or a character of himself in, in Top Gear and sometimes on other shows. This is genuine Jeremy Clarkson delivering information. And you get mm. a hint of that in these little asides and interludes where he's talking about these patrol boats in the Vietnam War. But that doesn't make any sense in the wider context of the movie. It feels like they've been just chopped in from another thing. This would have worked really well, perhaps, as a segment of a journey that involved cars and boats and something yeah. else. You know, we, yeah. we likened it to, the when we saw the trailer, the Vietnam special. Mm. And I think what that got right was what you just mentioned. There was a reason for them being there. And there was they were trying to do what America couldn't do, and they were putting themselves out of their comfort zone, but still on wheeled transport, still on means of transport that could run together. And then they finished that off by turning them into boats and, and arsing about on the water. And the whole thing just works in a way that this doesn't. Mm. So watch it because we want the Grand Tour still to be around, but I, I don't expect a great deal and you won't be disappointed. Anyway... I sent you a link to a trailer that was described as the most Michael Bay film ever, with Michael Baying his very Michael Bayist. Yes, that film is called Six Underground, and I've watched half of it. Uh, I need to watch the rest of it. I, I, I started watching it a couple of nights ago, and it got round to sort of half past ten, and I realised I was starting to fall asleep, um, despite <laughs> Michael Bay's best efforts. So I paused it, and I haven't had a chance to catch up on it, but. Forget that, because it opens with an absolute monster of a car chase. It's not a movie that we'll be reviewing on the show in full because it's just utterly stupid. Uh, but it does have an enjoyable have a quality car chase. barrier. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not enough car content in it, and I don't think this car chase holds up. It is really entertaining to watch an Alfa Romeo, Giulia Quadrifoglio just be rinsed around the streets of somewhere in Italy. There is some really questionable sound editing where at some points it sounds like the Turbo V6 and some points it sounds like a Ferrari V8. Uh, it's got a, a fly-off hydraulic handbrake, which and and it's in the film, right? So it's not pulling these stunts like sometimes you see when they do massive handbrake turns and then it just cuts to them doing it in the car and they're just turning the wheel and not doing anything else. It has been modified and they show it with this massive fly-off handbrake. So there's a some good stuff there. There's some good angles, but there's loads of the things that really bug us. It does indeed have the bit where the driver would like to go a bit faster. So what does he do when he wants to go a bit faster, Chris? Oh, does he change down a gear and press the throttle to the stop? That is exactly what he does. Hey. And this is Michael Bay, so he does it twice and in slow motion. <laughs> 
slow gear changes. That's what we need. So it has, it conforms to that stereotype. The actor doing the driving, Dave Franco, is peculiarly shot from practically a camera bolted to the underside of the steering column. So he's shot up <laughs> through the backside of the steering wheel. So you can see his face through the gap in the bottom bit of the steering wheel. It's really odd. And Is it a crotch cam? Yeah, it's kind of, except it's not a crotch cam pointed at his crotch. It's pointed up at his chin. It's very, very odd and slightly disconcerting. But that's a lot of the chase where you see him driving is that. But you know, it's got an Alfa Romeo in the movie looking cool. It is bright lime green, going sideways, doing big drifts. Honestly, this is on Netflix, so if you have a Netflix account, you can watch it for nothing. You don't even have to get off your bum and go to the cinema, which is great for people <laughs> like me who find getting to the cinema tricky. Give it a watch. The rest of the movie is absolute ludicrous bobbins, but the start <laughs> of the movie has a great car chase in it. Actually, let, let's go back. The start of the movie has a good car chase in it. It's not a great one. Uh, it's just a bit too hyper. Michael Bay, even at whatever age he is now, has clearly still had far too many cans of Coke. <laughs> Put down the M&Ms, Michael. Get out your pencil, write a proper film. So yes, Six Underground. Um, watch the start and then decide if you want to watch any further. Can't say fairer than that. Now, before we move on to our main films, I just wanted to take a minute. Seeing as this is our last episode of the year and this is our Christmas special, as much as Marty can uh, overlay some sleigh bell noises onto this bit... <laughs> yeah. Martin and I do this as, as a passion project. We don't have a Patreon page. We don't look for sponsors or anything like that just yet. But what we do ask is, if you have a few quid spare this time of year, please consider donating it to Mission Motorsport. The charity exists as the Forces Motorsport Charity, and they do fantastic work taking people who have been injured or affected through military service, and they're going back into civilian life, helping them retrain, helping them recover, finding work through their automotive arm. They do absolutely fantastic work. Both Martin and I have volunteered for them before. We will do again. So please, if you can, spare a few quid. We'll put a link to missionmotorsport.org in the show notes. They have a Virgin, I was going to say Just Giving page, but whatever the donation it's page is. It's a Virgin Money Virgin, page now. Virgin Money page, where... If you're a UK taxpayer, you can even gift aid your donation as well and give them a few more quid. So please do that. We would both be incredibly appreciative. What he said. That was a pause for effect. I was, I was being dramatic. We can't do pauses for effect. <laughs> so now let's kick off our slippers, refill our sherry glasses, and we're going to look at some of the films that we may not consider car films, but we just love. And we're going to start off with one from you. Martin? 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 <laughs> You've got to drawl it. You can, Martin? It's got to be surnames. Martin, it's got to be... Martin, yeah. Spain. So Spain. You may have guessed from, from that appalling impression of the very, very dull teacher <laughs> that I'm going to cover Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Which is one of my favourite movies. It's probably in my top five. Even though, if you're an adult watching it for the first time, you will think that Ferris Bueller is an annoying little git. <laughs> friend of mine, um, who will never listen to this, so I feel fair in, in saying that, never watched this as a kid, never had that moment of, oh my God, I want to be like Ferris Bueller. And so he watched it as an adult and did not get it. Couldn't understand why everyone liked Ferris Bueller. He just thought he was an annoying little dick. 
<laughs> who got his own way. But every one of you is going to have seen Ferris Bueller, so I don't need, really need to recount the plot. It's the Christmas special for us here, so we're just choosing movies which have cars that we love. And in Ferris Bueller, there is a very famous car. It is a Ferrari 250 GT California. And this is the car that belongs to Ferris Bueller's best friend's dad. And it sits in a garage until Ferris Bueller decides he wants to take a day off and arse around Chicago. And so he ropes his best friend into bringing it to school, pretend to be his dad, getting his girlfriend out of school. And then they zip off down the uh, interstate into downtown Chicago in this Ferrari they leave it with a parking garage attendant who looks like the dodgiest guy in the entire universe. <laughs> He's got greasy hair and he practically screams axe murderer. But somehow it all turns out fine and they have a great time in this Ferrari. Except this isn't a real Ferrari. So let's see. They couldn't afford to use a real Ferrari 250 GT California in Ferris Bueller's day off because it had a reasonably tiny budget. And even back then... You know, in the mists of time when Ferraris weren't all a zillion pounds if they were made in the 1960s and, and super rare. They cost around $300,000 when Ferris Bueller was shot and there was no way that the production could actually afford to buy one outright. So they had kit cars made, like loads of films do. You know, the Fast and Furious movies do this all the time now. They don't actually use the real cars, especially if they're going to be stunt cars. They tend to just build cheap replicas with fiberglass or carbon fiber bodies over the top that they can do what they want with. Quite often they dump an American small block V8 in there because they're super reliable and they make a nice noise. And that's pretty much what they did here. There's a bunch of great facts about this car, though. The original um, script from director and writer John Hughes actually called for a Mercedes, not a Ferrari. Ah. Apparently, in the first draft, there's a direction that says that the door goes up, the garage door goes up, light streams in to reveal Cameron and Ferris looking at Mercedes-AMG. That didn't stick around because... An, an issue of Car and Driver magazine, which had a review of a Ferrari 250 GT replica by a company called Modena, was read by John Hughes and he was interested and decided to get in touch with the company and they thought it was a joke. And they ignored all of the advances he was making until I think someone told them, hey, you know what, you should really pay attention to this. And... Go, the choice ended up between the uh, Moderna Spider and a Porsche Turbo. And they Ooh. ended up choosing the Moderna Spider, which is a shame because we could have had a, an early bad boys type thing going on in Ferris Bueller's <laughs> Day Off instead. So it's a 1985 Moderna GT Spidey California. Um, they made three replicas for the movie uh, one for sort of most of the use, uh, one for the stunts, particularly the epic jump where the car park attendant steals the Ferrari and get, takes his mate out for a joyride in it whilst assuring them that they're going to take really good care of it. <laughs> that jump apparently took nine takes and absolutely trashed the car. Oh, I don't know why you need nine it, takes for that, because it's really just one shot of it going over the top in slow motion. But hey, that's the movies. And it's squirrely when it lands well. As well, yeah, because it's rubbish. <laughs> I mean, it's not got... Dampers weren't invented at that time that could absorb that landing. <laughs> I think now, if you look at the kind of landings that rally cars can take with one mm. one piston travel in the shock, 
you could actually outrig a car to do it, but it would need to have, you know, the massive wheel travel of a rally car specced up for a gravel rally or something. And it would look absolutely absurd. Yeah. Can you imagine a Ferrari with that kind of level of droop with about two foot of air <laughs> between the top of the wheel and the top of the wheel arch? Ferrari never did a stadium truck for a reason. Although I would totally be on board for them doing that. Take an 812 super fast and put massive truck tyres and wheels on it. <laughs> Basically, you want a, a Baja buggy with a Ferrari body shell on it. Ah, oh, now we're talking. That'll be good. Or do it off a uh, GTC4 Lusso. So you, you have the thing where you open the rear and there's there's like two sand tyres and some rails in the back <laughs> held down with ratchet straps. Um, anyway. Yes, anyway. So obviously they uh, did not have a beautiful Ferrari engine to make all that lovely Ferrari noise. I think they recorded it to stick it over the top of the movie, but the actual engine in the car is a disappointing Ford Windsor small block, which was good for a whopping 195 horsepower. Wow. Which, even with a fiberglass kit car, is really not much power. But hey, there you go. It's a, it was a, probably a hell of a lot cheaper than sourcing a real Ferrari engine, if you could even do that. <laughs> um if you are of the the nerdy persuasion, and we are, look very closely when you see Ferris driving the car. Matthew Broderick could not drive a manual transmission. So when you hear the gear changes, you can also see that both of his hands are on the steering wheel. <laughs> so either Ferrari had perfected the um, the F1 auto shift box 20 years before they launched it, or <laughs> they uh, they dubbed it over the top and used an automatic for the shots. <laughs> It's a bit sad, really. I always get sad when I think we realise that, you know, people can't drive a manual car. Mm. How do you grow up not driving a manual car? It's just rubbish. But then, yeah, it's America. You know, they don't have corners. And, and this is the kid who had a full music studio in his bedroom and a computer that could hack anything he wanted, but he couldn't drive a stick shift. Yeah, oh, we're going to hold that against him. He's still cool, <laughs> but yeah, can't drive stick. I did dig into the uh, the company behind these replicas and somewhat understandably the company was quite short-lived especially after this movie um, maybe put them on a map a little more Ferrari got quite cross at this copyright infringement I, I have a feeling that Lots of these kind of kit car replicas are tolerated because they look so shoddy. If you go and Google some of the ones <laughs> of F40s and the like based on MR2s, they look rubbish and you can tell. Whereas this was pretty accurate. Mm. And Ferrari, of course, brought in the big fat lawyers because Modena never got the rights to put the prancing horse on the cars. And yet they did anyway. And so the company had to fold. Otherwise, they'd have been paying an enormous amount of damages, presumably that they didn't have, to Ferrari. So uh, the actual replica cars now are pretty expensive. So, Ironically. <laughs> well, yeah, two of the cars that were used in the movie have been sold. One in 2013 apparently selling for $235,000, and a second sold a few years later for $407,000. These are wow. replicas selling for more than it would have cost to have an original built at the time of shooting the movie. <laughs> okay, that's not factoring in inflation, but still, crazy. Wow. But the reason I love this is because... All the close-up shots are of a real car. They brought a real one in for the insert shots, and somehow that sells the whole thing. If you weren't a Ferrari nerd, which I wasn't at the time of watching this, you are completely convinced 
that somehow accidentally Ferris drives a Ferrari out of the back of his garage on stilts. How cool is that garage on stilts, by the way? Oh, it's amazing. Always wanted to have one of those. I was utterly convinced that somehow they had actually trashed it because it goes, you get that shot of it going out the back window backwards and then it pancaking on the forest floor below and it's so sad. <laughs> and I was convinced for years that they had actually, that those Ferraris weren't worth anything and they just found one and trashed it because I didn't really know any better. (laughs) They didn't. It was a replica and it was thoroughly stuffed, although I believe that's one of the ones that's been restored and then since been sold. Blimey. As you watch the film, you're completely sold that it is a Ferrari. I think due to some... You know, clever editing and you know how those replicas do look pretty convincing and those insert shots, particularly towards the end when they're trying to clock it by running it in reverse, <laughs> which <laughs> they're both supposed to be clever students. So come on, and that's not going to work. Uh, but yes, if you're looking for cool movie cars as opposed to what we normally cover, which is cool movies about cars with cars in them this is just a cool movie car and it has Mm. to be one of my favorites i was almost going to go for batman begins with the tumbler batmobile because there's loads of cool stuff about that but you know i figure this one's got to be for one of my favorite childhood films so ferris bueller's day off if you haven't seen it what the hell (laughs) see it now and then come back and tell us if you think ferris is a spoiled little brat um (laughs) but if you haven't seen it in a little while go back and watch and just See if you can spot the joins on the fake versus the real Ferrari. <laughs> I'm going to go back and watch that now because I'm I'm now curious. I I'd never spotted the the hands on the wheel. I'm also going back to my childhood and specifically going back to ten past three on Christmas Day in 1988. And I know this because when I was young, we had a recording of Back to the Future that we had taped off the telly on Christmas Day. And it included the last couple of minutes of the Queen's speech. So I can absolutely kind of timestamp this point in my life. I think Um, that's true for loads of us who've grown up with some of these movies is that we probably never saw them at the cinema. First we saw them was on TV or tape off to the television onto a thing called a VHS, kids. And if you haven't heard of what a VHS is, then Wikipedia and Marvel. You know those funny videos on YouTube that look like they've been shot with a potato? That's what VHS was like. (laughs) so uh, like marty if you haven't seen back to the future what have you been doing i should also point out i'm going to refer to marty i don't mean marty i mean marty so just to (laughs) clarify that whole point that is where that nickname came from so it's fine shall we share the photo of you dressed like marty mcfly oh god no or maybe we'll put it in the show notes is that on facebook or something like that god i've done it more than once (laughs) <laughs> the name like mine and growing up in the, in the 80s, you'd kind of have to. Well, true, true. So if you haven't seen Back to the Future, a quick pricey. A teenage boy, Marty, is friends with an old man, Doc, who has a dog. They meet in a shopping mall car park at night where Doc shows him a time machine made from a rebodied esprit. Marty ends up going back to 1955, where his mum falls in love with him. He then has to convince his dad to win her affections. She nearly gets raped by the school bully. George wins the day. They get married and employ the school bully slash rapist. Now... (laughs) (laughs) And yet... There are a number of... If you start getting too much into Back to the Future, you know the, the Austin Powers things. It's like, well, hang on. If I go back to then and I'm actually here, oh, no, I've gone cross-eyed. There if is you, that. Let's go back to the bit where Back to the Future's original time machine was a fridge. Well, yes. So, 
Well, actually, no, let's go back, let's go back further than that. So the DeLorean itself, this, depending on your point of view, either great fraud committed against the Tory government <clears throat> or a futuristic dream that never quite came off. So John DeLorean, I think, was a GM executive who had this idea to start his own car company went to Northern Ireland where the economy was slumped, basically took a Lotus Esprit chassis, some bits from Jaguar and Ford, and I think a bus company is in there as well, and built a car with a stainless steel body with gullwing doors and all that sort of thing. He had ideas that it'd be this great sports car. He was wrong. Well, Andrew Frankel, who's, I think it's his third mentioned in three episodes on this podcast, actually drove one in a contemporary fashion and said that the handling and steering were actually engineered by Lotus and actually had quite good steering. The rest of it, utter cack. The chassis was supposed to be stainless steel. It wasn't because they couldn't crash test it properly. So that's mild steel, which rusts. The engine was a Peugeot Renault Volvo unit that produced a stonking 130 horsepower. Can't believe it. It's so crap. (laughs) From a V6 as well. How they got so little power from that engine, I have no idea. Also, while they were developing the car, they changed the homologation laws. So rather than the headlights having to be at one height, they suddenly had to be a little bit higher. Now, re-engineering a headlight unit is not cheap. So they didn't. They put longer springs on the front to get the headlight up to the right height. Oh, that's why they all look really weird at the front. Yes. Even the Um, Back to the Future car. Even the Back to the Future cars. They didn't put the Eurospec springs on them. I think it was Eurospec spring. Anyway, so it was a bit of car anyway. I think it would have been probably relegated to the history books if it wasn't for Back to the Future. If you are interested in the history of the DeLorean, Alex Goy has done a fantastic documentary about it. Well worth a look. It was nearly a Mustang, believe it or not. The budget for Back to the Future was fairly large. Universal's product placement department got a phone call from Ford to say, for 75 grand, we will give you a Mustang to make the time machine out of. And Bob Gale, rather brilliantly, because he's a rather quietly spoken chap, went, Doc Brown doesn't drive a fucking Mustang. (laughs) And that was the end of that, which would have been fantastic. But hey, there we go. The car itself was a 1981, I think, because it's got the concealed fuel filler in the bonnet, with a manual shift, which seemed like an odd choice for an American production. And all of the time travel paraphernalia attached to it was largely ex uh, military salvage, ex aviation salvage. There's, if you look down the side of the car, there are connectors that were used on battleships or something like that, and there's rows of capacitors down the side. There's a Buick hubcap, which is the initial point where they put the plutonium in, which was later then famously. Oh, yeah, that totally does look like a, a hubcap. Yeah. And that was later, of course, famously changed to a Krupp's coffee grinder, which was the basis for a Mr. Fusion. It's not a coffee grinder, it's Mr. Fusion. It is Mr. Fusion. And that's also why those coffee grinders are now hugely expensive on uh, online. I've seen a replica of this. I, I was lucky enough to go to an open day at McLaren's HQ, the uh, McLaren Technology Centre, and somebody had brought along and parked a DeLorean oh. out the front. And it was the full replica. And inside it, it got signatures <laughs> from some of the actors in there. I think um, oh, wow. Christopher Lloyd and um, a couple of the others had actually signed the inside of the car. And it had all the gear. And I have a photo of it somewhere. I have to dig it out. But it, it was as true to life as it could possibly be. I don't think I managed mm. to sit in it, but... 
and I was distracted <laughs> by all the McLarens. There's a whole scene who build these replicas, and what's actually funny is that they had one car that had a working interior, but it wouldn't work while the car was moving, and a lot of the lights and stuff were actually added after in uh, in post. But if you go to a, a meet where they have these Back to the Future DeLoreans, not only do they have all the working bits that the actual movie cars never had. They have the sound effects generators. They have the right alarm clock on the top of the dash. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think that this one had the right JVC camcorder cam. in yeah. the passenger seat. And there's usually like a replica hoverboard in there as well. And The, and <laughs> the attention to detail is magnificent. It's brilliant. And what's funny as well is, like I say, a lot of the movie cars didn't actually do what the replica cars now can. And there was a photo of, not a DeLorean photo, but from Back to the Future 2. You know, the first time that Marty puts on the self-fitting jacket, there's a wide behind-the-scenes photo with eight special effects guys basically running um, cables down his trouser legs. And they're all just waiting for their bit to pull. It's... (laughs) It's just movie magic at work. The DeLorean was actually quite a good choice, as you turned out, probably accidentally. Because it was a body on frame, you could take the body off. So there are bits where, obviously, in Back to the Future 3, it becomes a train carriage. So they just put the body onto a onto a rolling um, car. What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Rolling stock chassis. Yeah, just put it on a truck chassis or something like that. That's it. Um and even in Back to the Future 2, the first time that they land in 2015, where the car comes in is a motion, is a image composite of a model shot as it comes in. And then as it lowers about the last 10 feet, it's actually the body of a car on a forklift truck. And where it goes down to the ground, there are two brushes hiding the forklift prongs going through oh i may you know what i kind of vaguely remember having spotted that if you watch it on like high def sources now mm. it's a lot easier to see the joins it really does show up the, the other thing with one of those behind the scenes documentaries was there is at the end of back to the future 3 kind of spoilers they crash a train trying to get a delorean up to 88 miles an hour and I thought it was just some sort of motion effect painted thing where actually it was a scale model pushing a scale DeLorean off the end of a ramp and it actually exploded. There were rockets going off and all sorts. It's one of my favourite bits of model work being convincing enough to get you believing that they, you know, they, they blew a thing up. It's really, really good because they built it big. And that's Mm. the trick with model making is to make it as large as you can feasibly because loads of things don't scale really well including sand and water so you know yes and explosions are really hard to be convincing when they're small so that mm. one's a, it's a great shot and i really like that kind of i love the back to the future three delorean with the white wall tires on it racing across yes. the desert that's the, that's got the, loads of suspension travel as well that's got a, a whole baja feel to it <laughs> and i love with that as well one of my favorite details of that car is the electronics on the bonnet made from valves and things you could actually buy in the 50s like the level of detail that somebody's gone into like how this would actually work i think is brilliant um what's quite sad is that after the the films were finished universal kept hold of the cars so there were three hero cars made for the first film there was an a and a b and a c the b and c cars were used for stunts they were used for interior shots things like that but the a car 
car ended up going into storage and then when Back to the Future the Ride came out at Universal in LA the actual hero car from Back to the Future was parked outside and left in the Florida sun for decades and at some point somebody kind of realised what this car actually was they thought it was a a replica that had been bolted together with whatever they had lying around and they sort of looked at the details went wow this is a really really good replica and they found out it was the original and it had been sat not moving not running for all of this time and the interior was cracking and it was in a really really bad state and what they did fantastically in the run-up to the 30th anniversary was universal gave them a budget bob gale got on board they got a number of uh, Back to the Future experts, but they also got fans in who had built these replica cars and had sourced these replacement parts themselves and they knew exactly what was stock and what was uh, a later add-on and how it changed from movie to movie. And this team, over two years, actually rebuilt the original Hero A DeLorean. And there's a documentary called Out of Time, of course, which is usually hard to get hold of in Britain. It runs just over an hour, and it basically documents this two-year process where they rebuilt the original DeLorean into the the car that's that's now treasured. There was 20 minutes of it on the 30th anniversary box set blu-ray box set uh, that came out 2015 of course it did and i haven't bought it yet because i already have three back to the future box sets on my shelf and i thought a fourth <laughs> might be extreme it's basically it's your star wars isn't it it absolutely is i i you know what i actually have it somewhere i hope my wife never listens to this because she'll go through the loft and make me throw it away somewhere i actually have a vhs copy of the back to the future box set because there were special features on there that were never transferred to the to the DVD versions. And I have no way of playing a VHS, but I still have the box set. So now that the, uh, the car's been finished, out of time, if you can get a hold of it, I'd be very interested to actually see a copy because it's not on the UK iTunes store. It's not on UK Amazon unless you're willing to pay sort of 30 quid or something for a copy. And now the car went... It did a bit of a promotional tour in 2015, and it's now sat in the Peterson Museum in LA as part of their movie cars collection. And frankly, I think all the better for it. I'd love to get out there one day and have a look. One thing with Back to the Future is, as well as saving the DeLorean, it actually implanted itself in people like us who are now reaching an age where we can start to afford these cars from our youth. A long time, about 10 years ago, a DeLorean was about 10 to 12 grand. There used to be one. When I went to university, there was someone who had one in the local area. And I remember seeing it a couple of times. And it was quite literally like someone had landed a spaceship <laughs> next to my local yeah. cinema. Because that's where I saw it. I remember walking back. I could, the memory is clear as day. Walking back from seeing something at the cinema and a DeLorean driving past me. And I practically fell over for two reasons. One, it's a DeLorean, and even without all the Back to the Future paraphernalia, they look like a spaceship. And two, it made the most rotten sound. (laughs) Because we should mention the thing that Chris hasn't mentioned, which is the sound of the DeLorean in Back to the Future is dubbed. It's a NASCAR V8, and it goes... (laughs) In that scene where he's trying to start it so that he can, you know, run down the road and get back to 1985... 
And, and so so much for Doc's precision timing. Exactly. It, had the thing just started on the key, he'd have been fine. <laughs> it'd have been it'd have been ten seconds too early. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I actually saw one. What, near where I used to live, somebody parked one in a car park, and the main thing I remember about it: one, it was it was filthy; two, the wheels needed a refurb; and three, the little slidey window thing was being held up with parcel tape. <laughs> this this um, is the thing where you you realise that the actual car is a bit of a shed, and and awful. the movies misled you. And see, this is the thing. So, if you read about what can actually go wrong with a DeLorean. It's immense, because the chassis rot, because they are just mild steel. The electronics are a bit patchy at best. The two things that have the, the most problem, one is the door solenoid, and the other is the torsion spring that opens the two doors, because it's a cryogenically made um, torsion spring. So, basically, there's a very high chance if you have an owner DeLorean and you don't upgrade from stock, you will get locked in. And if you don't get locked in, there's every chance the door might fall on your head when you try and get in or out. They have no power. They're 130 brake from standard. The weight is so far over the the back, it's not even rear engine. You know, a 911 is like, whew, that's a bit odd. It's it's an appalling car. The You know, everything is just thrown together and mackled and they are now 30 40 grand for a decent sorted one and if you want a back to the future replica especially a good one i also saw one at joe mccari in london for 100 grand that's a lot isn't there a company in the states that does that specializes in in rebuilds and projects of deloreans isn't that the, the company that matt farrow took his to well, there's, yes, there's, so there's a company in the States called DMC Houston who basically bought up all of the spares, That's all right. of the stock, bought the moulds. I think they've ended up buying the IP for the car. And it was the main place if you wanted a, a wheel or a front wheel arch or that bit of plastic grill over the rear lights or a new louver or whatever, that was the place that, that you went. And they actually got to a point where they were starting, and I don't know if they ever ever actually completed it, doing um, continuation model DeLoreans from new new parts, new chassis, new doors being stamped, all of this stuff. And they were doing it absolutely from scratch, almost like a, a singer sort of thing, where they were like, pick your interior, pick your engine, pick your suspension, and we'll build you a zero miles brand new DeLorean. They even did a project with uh, EV West to do an electric DeLorean, which I can't think of a car I would daily more happily than an electric DeLorean. That would just be the most fantastic thing to daily every day. So this is the thing. Back to the Future, I think, is the legacy for all of this stuff that we're now talking about. All of the fanaticism that's followed the car is entirely down to Back to the Future. And frankly, as much as I love the film, and I do, the fact that it's kept the DeLorean in the motoring conscience is just the icing on the cherry for me. And I love both the car and the film's bits, despite all their flaws. Yeah, it's 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 probably the most iconic movie car outside of maybe James Bond's Aston's. When I was trying to think of the, the, the cars I'd like to bring up, Back to the Future is the, the one that springs immediately to mind. The movie's not about cars, so we probably would never no. cover it if it weren't for the fact that the DeLorean is such an iconic car, an iconic character in the movie. And the movie would not be anywhere near as good if 
it wasn't a car as the time travel device. If he didn't travel through time and end up driving through a barn, mm. that whole bit doesn't work if the car doesn't look like a spaceship. True. And true. you know the, the the iconic car disappearing off, leaving trails of flames <laughs> and a spinning license plate. Even Bond's Lotus that goes underwater isn't that cool. So I will say two things before I finish, which I should have included earlier. One, I think you could drive a DeLorean anywhere and it is classless. I think you could park it outside the Savoy, you could drive it through Knightsbridge, you could pull up to any car meet and people will fawn over it. The other bit of Back to the Future trivia, and this has nothing to do with the DeLorean, but I love it to bits. Just after 9-11, the sci-fi channel in the US showed an edit of Back to the Future. Because post 9-11, the whole Islamic terrorist thing was kind of a bit of a hot-button topic, they edited out the Libyan terrorists. So, there is an edit of Back to the Future where Doc and Marty are in the uh, Twin Pines Mall, and then for no reason, they're suddenly in 1955. (laughs) And I would love to see it. I don't know how you... There must be... You probably could construct an edit where it makes a bit more sense, but I love the fact that they just went, hack, chop, done. I agree with you on the fact that they're classless cars and you could drive it anywhere. I would add to that that you probably want a re-engined version if someone can actually fit... You know, if you can get a crate... V8 in there somewhere (laughs) that actually makes the proper noises then absolutely but they're just so cool and they're the reason why why I love the Mercedes-Benz SLS so much because it's got gullwing doors and a very long bonnet and that thing really does make the dirty V8 noises (laughs) and I've always always thought of it as like a properly engineered DeLorean very true very true I, I, I never thought of that now you say it I really want a, a Mercedes SLS <laughs> so moving on as this is our Christmas special and to tide you over the coming festive weeks Marty and I have both put together our top five YouTube highlights of the year although because I pinched the good ones first Marty's only done four so <laughs> to keep you going in, until our next episode in 2020 oh my god Marty, what would you recommend people watch over the festive period? Well, this is quite good because we didn't start this until, what, late summer? Yep. So there's a whole, like, six months' worth of car videos that were published. And before we carry on, I should probably add, we had to restrict ourselves to video content that was published online in 2019 because I was going back through my YouTube history looking at really cool stuff that was, you know, 2017, 2015, 1985. (laughs) Yeah, I can't include that. So this is video content that was published in 2019. And there's six months that we didn't even cover. Um, So I've got four. Chris grabbed two of the ones I wanted to show, so I managed to find another one. But um, there's four things I want to go up. Number one is James May's Unpimp My Ride, which is an an occasional series where ex-Top Gear and Grand Tour presenter James May brings a car of his into an underground garage and proceeds to put it back to standard. (laughs) This greatly appeals to me. Because I don't like... Well, that's that's a lie. I like things that are non-standard. But I like the idea of things being standard where they should be so modifications for performance i i approve of these and 
I think you know I own a car that's heavily modified for performance. But if you have like a regular car, there is no point sticking you know chrome spinners on it or you know not having an OEM set of wheels or something along those lines. But James May takes it to glorious levels of pedantry and nerdiness. <laughs> this particular episode is him with his Ferrari 308, where he talks about why it's desirable and it's on you know 14 inch wheels with massive tires. But he comes out and says note that the dust caps on the tires are non-standard they are from a honda and that simply (laughs) won't do and instead he goes around all four wheels and replaces the dust caps on the uh, on the tires with the actual ferrari ones and that is the entire video but there is something delightful about the pedantry and the obvious joy he takes in <laughs> ridiculing the sort of mod culture and also the the youth culture of um, the way he talks it's just it's it's glorious it it reminds me a lot of his much missed series james may's the reassembler yes I where he just puts back together things uh, from his childhood pretty much or you know interesting mechanical things where he puts them back together i loved that show it was again it, it, it harked after his his enjoyment for things being right as they should be and his his long-held thing that they ridiculed in on top gear for having tools in the right place <laughs> and i always watch those things going no i completely get that they're yeah. neat and in the right place <laughs> So James May's Unpimp My Ride, watch it. It's not very long. They're really funny. There's another one he's got on his, um, he's got a 997 Porsche Carrera. And uh, yeah, the the only thing that's wrong with it is the fact that there is an insurance certificate in the uh, documents that are held in the glove box for a motorbike that he doesn't own anymore. So he just takes (laughs) it away, puts it in the bin and puts the glove box back. Uh, and I think these things get like hundreds of thousands of views. <laughs> so <laughs> he's obviously stumbled onto a new content form. The The second video is someone we've mentioned on the podcast a couple of times, Alex Roy. He of Cannonball fame and many other things. And he appeared on the VinWiki channel to tell a story that he's obviously told to people in person on a number of occasions, but it's the first time I've heard it committed to video. And it's a it's a wonderfully told story about how he got out of a speeding ticket that would have otherwise been an absolute slam dunk. It's such slow form storytelling and you can tell there's a punchline coming, but you have no idea what that punchline is going to be almost right up until the end. It's so fantastical, but it's true. This is tangentially car content. It's about driving and it's, it, you know, it's a ticket I think he got on one of the gumballs. But please go and watch this video. Uh, the title is This Crazy Trick Could Get You Out of Any Speeding Ticket, which is about the most link-baity title I think that you <laughs> can possibly have. But he's a master storyteller. And this is worth a watch. So uh, that's my second one, Alex Roy, um, talking about how he once got out of a speeding ticket. Third one goes back to our um, announcement that uh, Jethro Bovington's going to be on Top Gear America. Uh, this is a video from Motor Trend's Head to Head series, which I love, and you should totally subscribe to Motor Trend. They don't pay me for this, I just think you should, because it's got Jethro <laughs> on it, and I really like him and Johnny Lieberman. And so this is from their Head to Head series, the Ferrari 812 Superfast versus the Dodge Hellcat Red Eye. Now, the Head to Head series is basically two cars that are mostly similar 
Johnny Lieberman drives one of them, Jethro drives the other, they talk about it. They've got really good chemistry together. They bounce off one another. They they like they like kind of the same things, but they also differ in 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 ways and Jethro will obviously favor some of the more European cars and Johnny will favor the American cars and oftentimes there's there's good-natured teasing and ribbing and and like I said they they've got a good chemistry so this really works. The reason I like this video because all of the head-to-heads from this series have been really good. Um, the reason I like this one is because there's a scene towards the end where they are doing figure eight drifts around a car park. It's one of the, I think it's like a handling test that Motor Trend do. And they're doing, they start it in the Dodge Hellcat and Johnny Lieberman is not a drifter. And he he gets into this 800 horsepower muscle car and easily drifts it around around the cones while Jethro watches on going, where is this guy? <laughs> Where's he come from? And then he gets into the Ferrari and tries to drift it and fails immediately and repeatedly constantly every time he you know Jethro sits down and says you know just there's great systems on this car to uh, to allow you to do drifts in perfect control because Ferrari have this uh, side slip control mm. system and the 812 has like side slip 2 which does all sorts of clever things and detects how far you want to drift and keeps you in perfect drift and Jethro's advice is turn all of that off get it in second gear and give it the death <laughs> and I'm not sure if he meant to do this but every, the cut to the next shot of Johnny driving the car gives it death spins tries again gives it death spins this goes on for about two or three minutes <laughs> and then Jethro gets in and just nails it first time out drifts around while Johnny looks vaguely green and that just made me laugh so much as a demonstration of why they work together as a presenting team and that they're willing to take the piss out of one another and the fact that Jethro has mad skills in any car, <laughs> he does. like really, he really does. Uh, yeah, I, I've passengered with him as well, and and he's he's a proper proper talent behind the wheel. So really looking forward to seeing him on Top Gear America. But if you want to watch his work on Motor Trend, which is really worth seeing, you can actually see this full clip on YouTube. They don't publish them until I think like six to twelve months after they've been on Motor Trend on demand. But this one's actually kind of exceeded that time limit now so you can watch the full 20 something minute clip on youtube um and then if you like that get yourself onto motor trend on demand please <laughs> yeah then i'll stop talking about it uh and my last clip uh, again this goes back to something i think we mentioned in an earlier episode freddie Tavares hernandez has been rebuilding a merchilago from the fast and the furious movie fate of the furious it's the orange Lambo that Tyrese drives across a frozen lake and you know, gets attacked by a submarine and so on and so on. And he spent the whole year what? rebuilding wait, wait, this wait, wait, thing. Wait, 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 What? <laughs> you haven't seen that movie, have you? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's a bit where he drives an orange Merchilago across a lake and it gets attacked by a submarine. You know when you're doing a corporate brainstorming session and people will say, now there are no bad ideas, let's just see what happens. This is evidence that there are bad ideas. This, oh, come on. I mean, this is this is where the franchise is going. Bigger and bigger and bigger and stupider. And, you know, they, they followed it on with Hobbs and Shaw. Right. No, 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 no. Right. No. They get to Jurassic Park and, okay, uh, we've then got, oh, I don't know, a Jaguar XA220 being chased by an actual Jaguar. Right. <laughs> Go. I would see that. Are there any movies with Jag XJ220s in? I bet there aren't. If you know of any, you can that's get a, That's a good movie car. They're a bit big, um, but that's a, that'd be a good movie oh, car. Oh, they're beautiful. Yes, anyway, back to the subject. So this clip is him. He finished the car in time for the SEMA show in, in the States. It was out at the SEMA show on a stand and everyone got to see it. But 
before it flew there, I think he shot a video of him driving the finished car and he put so much time and so much effort into the car. And it looked visually when he got it, it looked all right. And the more he dug into it, the more he found that was wrong with it, particularly bodywork wise. And if you watch all the videos and it will take you a long time to watch them, but there's a good portion that are really worth seeing to see the level of effort that he and his team went into to restore this thing. He's driving the car and it starts with this clip of him in the car giving it death and he's got a trick exhaust on it and it sounds beautiful. Big V12 whale, very much like the kind of Ferrari V12s of F1 days past. And you can practically see the tears spring into his eyes. He just suddenly gets overcome with emotion and it's really nice to see because I followed this whole build from when he got the car to him finishing it and showing it off at SEMA and him driving it and being happy with the finished product. And it's just, it's a, for Christmas, it's a heartwarming thing to see somebody be emotionally moved by a car they've spent so much time restoring and fixing up and getting to what they want from the car. So maybe you won't want to watch the whole clip. Maybe you want to watch a few of the early ones to get an idea of how much work went into this. But like I say, this is my um, ghost of Christmas future heartwarming thing is that right i don't know yes. I, um, I haven't it's read a the christmas carol Ferrari. yeah it's a wonderful it's, it's, a, a, wonderful it's a wonderful lamborghini Lambo. <laughs> that's the one it's not the christmas character it's it's a, it's a wonderful lamborghini um and it is although the americans for some reason call it murchialago Ugh. and i don't know what's actually correct i want to go and look it up because i've always said murchialago yeah and it's a uh, murchialago they say it really weirdly anyway go and watch that <laughs> my last two well my last clips um Chris is going to cover. So, Chris, do you want to give us your top five? So, I'm going to cheat because I don't think we've done a YouTube recommendation where we haven't cheated in some way or another. And I'm actually going to start with the F1 YouTube channel because this year they have picked up the ball and absolutely gone to town. The one thing I would highlight more than anything is actually Will Buxton's Paddock Pass series. So, he does one show before a race weekend, one after qualifying, one after the race. Each one's about half an hour. And it's a bit of insight, a bit of review, a bit of driver interviews and all that sort of thing. There's so much good content on there. Well worth a watch. Red Bull... Oh, before you do that, I will say, on the subject of Will Buxton and the F1 Mm. channel, last year he did a video which is a compilation of all the puns he made (laughs) on the subject of the Haas team's name. (laughs) And honestly, some of them are absolute bangers. Some of them land very dead, and he knows it. But that is by far and away my favourite thing that F1... (laughs) In terms of video output, the F1 channel put out last year is Mm. Will Buxton's compilation of harsh puns. (laughs) They're brilliant. And he said he won't do them anymore, which is a crying shame, probably because he's run out of them. But they're so funny. Nothing to do with cars, uh, but please go and watch that because it makes me (laughs) chuckle even just thinking about it. Right, continue. The next one. Um, Sticking with F1, Red Bull decided to do a pit stop in zero gravity. They released this about a month ago, I think, but the link that I'll put in the show notes and on our website is actually to the behind-the-scenes video where they basically tell you how they actually do it. It's one of those vomit-comet planes where it basically flies in big parabolas. But they had to do it within, obviously, the fuselage of the planes. They had to build a set. They had to make sure the measurements fitted, test it, see what happened. Somebody said with a slightly wry joke, 
they didn't know when they fired the wheel gun if the wheel if the nut was going to go round or the uh, mechanic was going to spin round. <laughs> but it, it's a lovely bit of part video making, part choreography, part engineering. All of these things just coming together, really well worth a watch. Catchpole, Henry Catchpole, our Henry Catchpole of the week segment. This time I've gone back to one that I've actually mentioned before, so I won't. <laughs> won't go into it again in too much detail but that is him driving the Senna around Donington cutting between his recollection of the lap the the archive footage of the lap so this is Senna in the wet at Donington in 93 beautifully made beautiful narrative really well made his content has just been a highlight of of mine this year and I think that in particular is just a really well told story technically very well constructed really does stand up to repeated watching that was um, one of my choices too I, I went back and looked through all of his stuff and that would have been my pick it's not my favourite of his films of all time uh, but we're not allowed to go back into the archives for those so <laughs> yeah this was one of my pick too but Chris got there first the next one is an entire indulgence because hey it's our podcast and we get to do these things there is a series called Cinema Sins on YouTube. There's a channel called Cinema Sins on YouTube. And they do everything wrong with, and they did one of Gone in 60 Seconds. It's about 15 minutes long, and it's basically a slightly snarky take on all the things that are slightly wrong and weird and what have you about Gone in 60 Seconds, of which there are many. If you do watch it, stick around because they do have some outtakes at the end. And also, it's worth going into their archive and, again, just digging through finding films that, that you like if that sort of humour appeals to you. I also love... They don't have any car content on, the, on there yet, I don't think. They also have another channel called Cinema Wins where they go into great detail about why something is fantastic, which is just beautiful and positive. However, if you're only going to watch one of these, my absolute top pick would be Inside Chris Harris's Dream Garage, which, if you haven't seen it, is just beautiful. So it's one of the internet videos that he and Neil Carey do, and it was RM Auctions have a collection of what are called young timer cars. So these are cars from the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, a lot of German, lots of Japanese, um, some Aston Martins and all sorts of, of, of weird and wonderful stuff. And a lot of this is absolutely mint condition. It is the rare, it is the manual M5 E60. It's the various Alpinas in different wheelbases and all sorts of stuff. But the thing I like about it is that it's not that the cars themselves are special. So some YouTube channels, they go, we've got a Ferrari F40 and we're going to tell you everything about it. It's his reaction. It's all about his enthusiasm. It's basically a Being John Malkovich video where somebody can walk into their own personal auto trader collection and actually see and touch all the cars that they think about and fantasize about and research and fall down rabbit holes in and his just his niche love of these cars and all the little details and the things that he picks out and the way he he just knows what everything is and he just keeps giving little facts about these cars that some of them I'd never even heard of, let alone had any aspirations to ever own or know more about. It's just a wonderful video of one man doing something that obviously he loves, but doing it in a way that isn't self-indulgent, is still accessible. His passion is just washing over you in spades. And I watched it again while I was writing the notes for this, and it's still brilliant because... 
he loves it so much and it's infectious and you can't help but love it for everything that it is and I could just watch it again and again just for his reactions this was the other one that I also had on my list for all the reasons Chris has said I think all these cars came from one collector. Is that yep. right? So it's one right. person who had had some advice on sourcing cars they were interested in. And just these were the, like the spares. Is that right? So I, I'm sure these were basically the cars where he'd already got two or three of an example. And so some of these were just deemed surplus to requirements. Oh, wow. I thought I it think was like a mistake. That was the story around it. Whichever way it goes. If you haven't seen this, and I'm sure most of you have, but if you haven't seen this, it's it's basically petrolhead nerddom of the finest order. It's, it's it's what goes on inside all of our heads when we're browsing <laughs> Auto Trader, but just writ large, and it's wonderful to see that his increased profile and obviously working on Top Gear mm. hasn't changed the way Chris Harris feels about old BMWs, for example. Or, you know, rare groove Astons. There's, like Chris says, there's the, a level of knowledge that comes from a deep love for your subject <laughs> and, a, and, you know, the history of it and a, and a 20 plus year career of working for magazines and, and knowing all of these facts and having them to mm. hand almost immediately, <laughs> you know, it, it boggles the mind and it's just joyous to watch because. I was looking around the video, and you'll probably do the same thing too. While he's talking about one car, you may be focusing on in the background of the frame going, hold on a minute, what's that thing? Go on, go over there. (laughs) And what's also great about the fact that he has his own YouTube channel and he has an outlet for this is that he's just going around going, look at the window rubbers on this. Look how good they are. Have you ever seen an M5 without the uh, driver's seat bolster collapsed? This is absolutely perfect. Look at the tyre on this car. It's not the high level stuff it's like look at the buttons on this steering wheel isn't it fantastic and you go yes yes it is this is the stuff you just cannot you can't get out of his system on on top gear or even on the the videos absolutely they normally produce so that it's it's this is a sort of a full-on geek out and it's brilliant absolutely brilliant it might be the best video i've seen online this year in terms of articulating Mm. the kind of enthusiasm that we all have for for cars in general particularly those of us who tend to you know are hyper focus nerds on on detail and like maybe some of you aren't quite so uh what's the word how's a, a nice way of saying <laughs> nerdy <laughs> yeah you haven't fallen down the rabbit hole just yet but give it time and stay with us and we'll help so that's it for our 2019 podcasts and our Christmas special. Thank you all so much for listening. It's been brilliant starting this up and having people get back to us and engage in conversation and let us know that we're not the only ones that um, spot all the inaccuracies in movies <laughs> and that love car movies for for what they are. So thank you all very much for listening. If you do want to tell more people about the podcast, that would be lovely. But right now, we just want to wish you all a very happy Christmas and we'll see you in 2020. Yep, grab some mince pies and give it death. <laughs> <laughs>